Well, a lot of times when you say I was born into a coven of witches, you know, it's like you tell them that you're from another planet or something. Uh, sometimes people think I'm joking because it's just so impossible that <laughs> that could be true. I'm Umbreen Khan, and this is Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. We're revisiting conversations from our 2016 Escaping Religion series. First-person reflections, growing up inside small, insular communities, and then later, choosing a different path. Maureen Fiedler picks it up from here. Joshua Safran was born in a San Francisco commune in 1975 in a coven of witches. His mother described herself as a Wiccan, a radical, a freak. She worshipped a pantheon of goddesses, spirits, and energies, and was determined to keep her son out of the mainstream and off the grid. So he spent his early childhood as a kind of nomad, hitchhiking for thousands of miles, living in buses, vans, and even an ice cream truck. Then one day he discovered he was Jewish. And after years of wandering, he finally felt he had found a home. Saffron recounts his very unusual childhood in a new book, Free Spirit, Growing Up on the Road and Off the Grid. And he joins me today from California. Welcome back to Interfaith Voices, Joshua. Maureen, thank you for having me back. We're going to jump right in with this unusual detail. As a child, you wanted to grow up to become a woman? Tell us about that. Well, you have to understand that when you're a little kid, of course, you you know only what's around you and you think what's going on around you is is normal. So, yeah, I was brought up in the early years by a coven of witches and there weren't any male faces around me. And I was taught to believe that birthing a child was sort of the highest and best thing that a human being could do. And I wanted to do that, too. And as you can imagine, when I was about four, this realization that I won't be able to birth a child was devastating for me. And then I had this bright thought, well, maybe even though I'm a boy, I can grow up to be a woman and then I can have a baby. So this was not some kind of uh, a movement that a transgender person would have. No. And in fact, the witches that surrounded my mother actually began to turn their backs on her when, you know, it became apparent that they had a small warlock in their midst. And um, they weren't ready to have a boy. But more than that, they weren't ready to really have a child. I was the first child born into the coven and they weren't ready to stop changing the world and start changing diapers. I see. So for those who may not know, what is Wicca and what do Wiccans believe? Well, the community that my mother was a part of was a group of radical feminists in the mid-1970s that decided to take religion and faith back from what they saw as a, an evil patriarchy. And they attempted to resurrect or, or recreate sort of an amalgam of Celtic, European and Middle Eastern goddess worship. And they viewed themselves as witches, um, but not Halloween style witches, but rather good witches who would tap into these holidays like Beltane and Samhain and connected themselves back to the pagan tradition. And did they have any special practices? I know we think about witches in connection with fire or perhaps healing. They did have a lot of moon-based worship. Um, there was a, a, a hill formation in Northern California called the Tor that they used to go up on and they would drop LSD and they would reconnect with their um, past lives and astrally project their spirits and they would dance all night until dawn. My goodness, that's something. From your point of view as a child, 
What did your mother's Wiccan religion mean to you? Well, in the beginning, it meant that I had a lot of moms around um, who were often distracted. And I could tell even as a little kid that there was something afoot, that they were in a sense contriving or making up something because they always said, oh, my goddess, instead of, oh, my God. Unless something truly dramatic happened and then they would forget and they would say, oh, my God. And so there was already a little bit of a contradiction that I was seeing. And then as I got older, I really began to catch part of what my mother called the anti-man vibe. And I did to some degree feel unwelcome, like I was already being painted as a future kind of rapist and and batterer just because I was a man. And as part of that, my mother began to move away from the Wiccan movement. Let's talk for just a minute about how you ended up at that place. Uh, Your story really begins before you were born with your mother and her decision in the late 60s to reject mainstream society. But in fact, you say your entire childhood was a reaction to this one important choice to raise you off the grid. What do you think she hoped for your life? Well, I mean, I think my mother really believed that when we took to the road in 1980 that we were going to find an anarchist kind of utopian commune and that I would be raised there to be sort of physically strong and intellectually powerful, you know, learning Karl Marx and and worshiping the, the tree spirits and that kind of thing, and that at some point, in almost kind of a messianic way, there would be an end of days when the United States became entangled in another crazy war, and then I would be called upon to step in as a leader. I think that was sort of her vision for me. What was she like personally? You know, my mother uh, was and is, you know, an incredibly kind of um, charismatic, bubbly, excited and excitable person, but really had a hard time sort of focusing on one thing at a time. And so whether it was, you know, stopping nuclear power or, you know, worshiping the goddess, she tended to kind of shift from, from one thing to another, which, you know, had its ups as it, every day was, was, was exciting. It was an adventure. You never knew what we were going to do that day. But at other times it was sort of uh, distressing because as a child, at least for me, I did crave a kind of stability and certainty, which I didn't get a lot of. And what are some of the earliest memories you have from your childhood? Well, you know, one of my earliest memories is actually of waking up alone in a little apartment in San Francisco and my mother had left and she started to, to go out on her own at night because she sort of got bored being a mother of a, of a small child and sort of the, the panic of where is she, where is she, you know, um, and then you know, she eventually came back and, I, you know, I was mad at her. I, I remember these women that we lived with and sort of a lot of early exposure to to women, you know, women's anatomy and sexuality um, that was to some degree kind of distressing to me. And then various protests and street marches, which again were, were mostly scary. Um, a lot of police and chanting and banging on things, that kind of thing. Hmm. You write too that your mother was training you to become a warlock. Uh, really? She, what, she, what does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, I don't know what it means because I've never actually met a warlock, but it was it was something like the male equivalent of a witch. Um, when I was born, this this coven of witches did my astrological charts that predicted that I would be a warlock. And my my mother um, very strongly believes in in extrasensory perception and clairvoyance, and so she was really trying to train my mind to use my third eye, the one that society didn't want me to know about, to be able to do chakra readings, to read people's minds, to be able to even start cars and lift objects with the power of of my thoughts. What other memories do you remember from your childhood of Wiccan celebrations or even sort of worship services? 
Well, a lot of it was a sort of a sense of, you know, ironically, like begging to go to bed because these things often went all night. But also some of them were scary. I mean, there, a common theme was for these witches to have staffs, magic, magical staffs that had like animal skulls on them, for example. And there was a fair amount of um, use of psychedelics, LSD and, and hallucinogens that both were, you know, it's, it's scary to be around people who are in kind of incoherent, babbling, altered states. And also, as they described sort of the, my soul being blown out of my body and, and you know, watching people go into these kind of visions as a young person is not um, what was scary for me. And, and quite frankly, kind of place kind of an ominous flavor over a lot of mm. their ceremonies. When did you realize that this was not how other kids lived? Well, I experimented with school. At my own insistence, I started first grade, although I didn't finish it. And my mother had sort of warned me that there was there were these straight people, meaning people who were part of mainstream society. So I went to school sort of prepared to look out for them and, and ended my first day realizing they were all straight. We were the only people who weren't. But it wasn't really until sixth grade when at that point I insisted that I go to school and I came in, you know, covered in pine needles and tree sap wearing thrift store clothing patched with paisley fabric after having, you know, discussed Karl Marx for years in the wilderness and came in and found a very Darwinian reality in middle school. And it was pretty traumatic and also very revealing because I realized that I was completely out of touch with the country that I lived in. But eventually your mother met a man and you came to live in a somewhat normal apartment in Washington State with running water, no less. And that's when you discovered your Judaism. And the story begins when you walked by the cabin of a neighbor. What did he say to you? Well, he came out and introduced himself, and he asked my mother, he said, you know, where are you from? And my mother said, oh, well, we're from the Bay Area, from you know, San Francisco. And he said, no, you're not. And my mother said, what do you, what do you mean? And he said, you're Jews, right? Ain't no, ain't no launchmen from the Bay Area. There are no Jews that are originally from the Bay Area, was his point. And, and my mother said, yeah, we, you know, we are Jews. How did you know? And he said, your kid's got a rabbi's nose. <laughs> and, that was, and that was my discovery. And then you <laughs> asked your mom, Claudia, about that. And I'd like you to read that excerpt from your book here about that conversation, if you would. Uh, I would be happy to do that. So we walked down the trail and I said, and I called my mother Claudia, always Claudia, because uh, she was a mother, but she was more than that. She was a, a woman, a, f a full human being, and being a mother was only part of it. So I, I was supposed to call her Claudia, which was her name. And I said, Claudia, what was that thing he said we were? What thing? There was something he knew we were because of my nose. Oh, Jews. Yeah. What is that? I never told you we were Jewish? No. What is it? Jews, you know, like Einstein, Freud, Marx. Being my mother's son, I knew who these men were, but I didn't see the connection. Like, we're related to them? Sort of. And then she gave me a very Jewish answer. You know, Joshi, I don't know exactly what it means to be Jewish. We'll have to go to the library and look it up. But I was in the library now, riding the reading room through space and time, discovering that I was part of something, something profound. I was the descendant of an ancient tribe that had emerged from the mists of prehistory to introduce the world to God, to write the Bible, and to shine unto the nations like a beacon of righteousness. We had been scattered to the wind, driven to the four corners of the earth, oppressed and demeaned time and time again, yet we wandered on, excelling in isolation wherever we went. We didn't need to be normal like everyone else. We were Jews. 
When the library closed, I walked through the darkness as an only child no more. Now I knew I descended from the seed of Jacob, and somewhere out there were a million of my nameless brethren clinging to diasporic rocks just like me, but thriving nonetheless. And so how did that moment make you feel connected to something greater? Well, it was amazing. I I was always the kid who was different. I mean, we didn't celebrate Christmas or Thanksgiving or anything at all other than, you know, some strange pagan holidays. And I didn't have a past. I didn't have uh, any connection to anything. And all of a sudden, there was this word that described why we were different. Looking back as an adult, are you angry at your mom for the life she put you through? Did you ever feel you were deprived of a normal childhood? Well, I was angry at my mother for about a decade, uh, most of my teenage years, both because, absolutely because of not only the deprivations that I had to suffer, but the fact that many of those deprivations were intentional. I mean, you know, we could have lived in poverty with running water and electricity, but my mother elected not to. And in a, to a greater degree, I was had a really hard time forgiving my mother because of uh, the man that she ended up marrying. She ended up marrying a, a violent alcoholic and, you know, we suffered a lot at his hands. So it was, I, I felt betrayed by her. And, and to some degree, I felt like my entire childhood had been an experiment in, you know, <clears throat> sort of naive searching for a ridiculous utopia. But I grew to, to forgive my mother in part because we kind of grew up together. You know, when I went to college, she went to college. When I got a job, she got a job. And my mother at one point said, you know, I'm amending the old phrase. So I turned on, tuned in, dropped out, and now I'm crawling back. Joshua Saffron relates the story of his early life and faith journey in his memoir, Free Spirit, Growing Up on the Road and Off the Grid. He's a partner in the Rudder Law Group and is a recognized advocate for survivors of domestic violence. Saffron's work was profiled in the documentary Crime After Crime, and he's received multiple awards for his advocacy, including the Pursuit of Justice Award from the California Women's Law Center. The original Escaping Religion series producers included Laura Correll, Josh Gleason, and Maureen Fiedler. That's all for this week's show. If you missed any part, you can stream it online at interfaithradio.org. While you're there, you can also learn about us, read the show notes, sign up for our newsletter, and explore the archives. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or really the podcaster of your choice. Just search Interfaith Voices. A special thanks to our founder, Maureen Fiedler. This week's episode was produced by Kevin McCarthy. Inspired is a production of Interfaith Voices. We're a nonprofit, and we rely on the generous support of our listeners to bring you this show. I'm your host and executive producer, Umbreen Khan. Remember to stay safe, stay well, and stay connected. I'll see you next week.